Hey there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for listening to our very first inaugural episode. Just to get to this place where we are right now was a long time coming. We hope to be able to bring you more episodes, but it takes a lot more money than we originally anticipated. So we're going to launch a crowdfunding to raise money for the next few episodes. We hope that you'll participate so that we can continue to bring great content to you on a normal basis. Follow the link from the podcast or check our website out at fintalks-radio.com. That's F-I-N talks-radio.com. Now, enjoy the first part of the inaugural episode, The Current State of the Finance Industry. They're stuck. They're stuck between what I would call is a perfect storm. That's Everett Sands, a CEO of a fintech company that started just a few years ago. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the CEO of Lendistry. Lendistry is a small business and commercial real estate lender. Everett is speaking about how the rise of fintech can be attributed to two things, the tight regulatory market and increasing expenses for compliance. You had more money getting spent in operations and and compliance, less money getting spent in sales, but additional assets coming on the books. So you had no choice but to figure out a way to get the assets out the door. But that's all been within the past couple of years. So what happened before that? How did we get here? All the big names are at new lows. This is an extremely volatile market. Close down 369 points. Triple digit loss on Wednesday. A staggering 678 point plunge. Massive loss of 1,874 points. 18% the most. The echoes of the Great Recession haunt us to this day. But like greenery showing up after a forest fire, there was a new industry being formed. In this inaugural episode, we're going to explore what led up to the finance industry as it stands today, where fintech is going, and what the future holds for all of us listening. From Los Angeles, California, this is FinTalks Radio. The podcast that opens the closed doors of the world of finance, investment, and the new technology that's influencing it. And now, your host, Jeremy Kahn. Now, how do we do this? Well, we start with a strong foundation iPhone runs OS X. You've got that right. That's Steve Jobs introducing the iPhone in 2007. Now, why, why would we want to run such a sophisticated operating system on a mobile device? Well, because it's got everything we need. It's got awesome security and the right apps. And that has let us create desktop class applications and networking. It was the first time in history that we would have this much computing power in our pockets everywhere we went. But it wasn't until a year later that in June of 2008, 
Apple would introduce something that made it possible for a single developer to fundamentally change the world. So, you're a developer and you've just spent two weeks or maybe a little bit longer writing this amazing app and what is your dream? Your dream is to get it in front of every iPhone user. That's not possible today. Most developers don't have those kinds of resources. Even the big developers would have a hard time getting their app in front of every iPhone user. Well, we're going to solve that problem for every developer. And the way we're going to do it is the App Store. The App Store was the infrastructure needed to begin a wave of life-changing apps, from the way that we shopped, connected with people on social media, to even how we banked. It was surely the catalyst to help grow the finance world. Closing numbers on the markets today. At one point, the market fell as if down a well over 700 points. Apple shares are just getting hammered this morning. We're down by between 3 and 4.5% generally across these markets. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're red everywhere, essentially, down by 4 or 5%. We're down over 16%. Down at the same time has fallen about 18%. The stock market is now down 21%. Because we're now down 43%. Just a few short months after Steve Jobs announced the App Store, the largest bankruptcy in the history of the United States would be the catalyst for the Great Recession of 2008, Lehman Brothers. The world fell into a global economic collapse unlike anything seen since the Great Depression. Bankers lost their jobs across the board Investment banks collapsed. Savings and loans failed. It was a massive market meltdown that saw $19 trillion vanish. Early baby boomers were nearing retirement when the floor fell out. They saw their retirement portfolios devastated by that market collapse. Sometimes only working to squeeze an extra stock option or two. Boomers unfortunately had to begin putting off their retirements and continue to work well beyond they originally expected. This began a backlog in the corporate ladder as those in their 50s didn't have the upward mobility that they thought they'd have. Those in their 40s couldn't replace those in their 50s and so on. This also meant less employment opportunities for those millennials just getting out of college with big hopes and dreams of making it in their finance careers. Meanwhile, back in Washington, the Obama administration was hard at work at putting forth legislation to ensure that something like this meltdown could never happen again. All financial regulators didn't do everything that needed to be done to prevent the crisis from happening. And that's why we've put forward uh, the boldest set of reforms in financial regulation in 75 years. What would inevitably become the Dodd-Frank bill? This piece of regulation would be the framework to ensure the banks wouldn't be able to put the entire system at risk like it did during the Great Collapse. However, the regulation was so strict that banks had to build out their entire compliance department just to interpret these new laws. All of this came together to create the circumstances to revolutionize the financial industry. All of it was a perfect storm. The Dodd-Frank Act basically was created after the financial crisis in order to regulate 
our industry much closer and make sure that we didn't have another financial meltdown due to bad mortgages being issued. Since I don't have the patience to work with regulators, I talked to this guy who knows a thing or two about them. I'm Kiefer Rollins. I'm Chief Executive Officer of Matchpoint Funding Incorporated in downtown Los Angeles. Kiefer has worked with some major mortgage lenders in the past, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, just to name a few. But he found that he could be much more flexible in helping clients by leaving the highly regulated commercial banking world and helping clients more effectively by going private. I was in corporate America working for Wells Fargo, Chase, Washington Mutual, pretty much every large institution. And whenever you work for a large institution, you're subject to their guidelines and their rules and regulations. So what happened just before Dodd-Frank? Prior to Dodd-Frank and what led to the mortgage crisis was there were people taking out mortgages that had no ability to repay those mortgages. So then through Dodd-Frank, the regulators essentially tightened credit but made a secondary market outside of the banks that allow you to capitalize on an unserved market. But is there truly a market out there for quote-unquote unbankable deals? Absolutely. Uh, credit is significantly loosened right now uh, outside of the commercial banks. They are still very regulated and do keep uh, an eye on their balance sheets and what the regulators will and will not allow them to do. Uh, but there truly is markets for any project that makes sense. With that being said, then you're able to actually help grow individuals' net worth and contribute to a business's growth all outside of the normal banking channels that have existed for decades. That would be an accurate depiction of it. On a more macro level, um, the whole thing that contributes to growth economically is really the looseness of credit. If you look at the Great Depression, why the Great Depression happened, it was the restriction of credit. Um, now, why are we seeing such growth? It's the loosening of credit. That's purely loosening of credit in the private markets, right? I'd imagine that is because of the lower rates of return for keeping money in the bank, so they need to invest it somewhere. So getting a piece of that lending market that the commercial banks are missing out on, that'd be an ideal investment. Well, lower, lower interest rates spurs people wanting to borrow. Uh, but as far as private money coming in, they want to capture as much of that market as possible. They don't really see a downside. Do you foresee Trump actually helping business by uh, loosen, loosening these regulations? The current administration is in favor of less regulation in order to make sure that business does flourish. They are currently working in D.C. on possibly abolishing the CFPB. The CFPB is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So if that happens, that would be essentially a form of significant deregulation. And we do know that when there's deregulation, business uh, in this aspect would flourish. The regulatory environment has helped Kiefer's business tremendously as private money chases good deals. However, for the small business market, it has gotten increasingly harder to attract cheap bank money. Um, small businesses by nature do not like to show profit. Um, profit means you have to pay taxes and small business owners tend to feel like paying taxes is, is coming right out of their back pocket. Jeff Brandon of Solve Capital is someone who knows a lot about small business lending. He has been at the forefront of alternative lending for well over two decades now. My background has been in small business lending for uh, coming up on 20 years. Um, started out in the equipment finance space, 
I started my own equipment finance company in 2004. Things were going great. 2007, 2008, um, our bank lines were pulled, and we had to make a we had to make changes relatively quickly. Um, during that transition, I realized that what we were selling was really a commodity. Um, so in 2011. I broke off on my own, um, started and raised my own fund, and decided to to do more value-added lending to small businesses. So, Jeff, tell me a little bit about uh, Solve Capital and how you currently are operating. Yeah, so Solve is a private debt fund. Um, you know, we lend and sometimes invest in small businesses. Most of what we do is debt-based, meaning that we provide growth capital loans. Uh, bridge loans, um, debt-based solutions for growing small businesses. So Jeff, how are you currently finding your deal flow? Uh, most of our referrals and deal flow come from bankers. The statistics in the industry show that 55% uh, plus of all uh, small business applicants get uh, get declined by banks, which you know leads us right into you know our ability to to get deal flow from bankers. What part of the regulation made it difficult to get a conventional loan from a bank? The, the collapse in 2008-2009 led regulators to clamp down on banks, which require um, tons and tons of disclosure from small businesses and from medium-sized businesses, and, and it makes it very difficult for companies to get loans. And, and um, the amount of paperwork is, I mean, it's burdensome. Are these companies just weaker? Or are there strong businesses out there that are just not getting funded? You know, there are a lot of really solid small businesses who are in growth mode, but for mm -hmm. them to wait 90 days and submit a full financial package, there's a just a fundamental divide between, you know, what banks want to see and right or in are required to see as a as stemming from the regulatory oversight um, from the recession and what small businesses are able to provide. So the pendulum swung from loose regulation to over-regulation. Are you seeing the benefits from this? So they kind of did it to themselves. So I think they over-regulated the other way, which has allowed companies like ours to, to thrive. Um, but we know that 55 to 57% of every application that you submit gets declined. And I, I think that's going to be a running theme for years to come. You can learn more about Jeff Brandon and his company, Solve Capital, at solvecapital.com. We all know that compliance and regulation are good, but we also know that the pendulum can swing too far. And if it swings too far, what that means is that more money is spent on non-money-making activities. And in the case of a bank, that means more money spent on compliance and regulation, as opposed to maybe training loan officers or training business development officers or things like that. You might remember Everett from the opening of this episode. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the CEO of Lendistry. Lendistry is a small business and commercial real estate lender located in Southern California. So tell us a little bit about Lendistry. The best way to describe it is that Lendistry is a hybrid of a community bank and a hybrid of the fintech world. And when I looked at what was going on, it was, I was so curious about how they were able to underwrite faster. And I just wanted to bring that into the banking world. Uh, at the same time, in the banking world, we started denying more customers. So I came up with this crazy idea that what if I tried to leave the banking world and jump into fintech? And that's basically how Lendistry was created. We said, let's take what we think is good about banking and let's take what's good about fintech lending 
And let's see if we just merge the two together and see what we could create. We've learned that banking has tightened their lending due to overregulation. What do you see that a bank can do to make more loans? You only have two options. And the two options for a bank are either to charge higher rates or to go to higher loan amounts. So each individual loan a bank makes costs relatively the same in overhead. So it makes sense that a higher loan amount would mean a greater profit. And if you just think about banking and you think about competition, all the banks are going after the same kind of A-plus customer, which means charging a higher rate, which is not going to happen. So therefore, they'd have to go higher in loan amount. What that translates to is that there was going to be a, a lower loan amount or community or group who were not going to be served because everybody doesn't didn't need that higher loan amount. Five years ago, we translated that loan amount as $1 million. That was five years ago. I'm sure with the implementation of Dodd-Frank, DFAST, etc., it's more like $2 million. Which means anybody that's trying to get a loan below $2 million is going to have a really, really hard time. So the banks really need to focus on the higher loan amounts to make up for the overhead costs the small loan amounts just can't cover without a higher interest rate. So really, focusing on 10 small loans isn't efficient. They need to focus on that one big one. It seems the banks are in a bit of a catch-22 here, don't you think? They're stuck. They're stuck between what I would call is a perfect storm. And that perfect storm is, number one, you have additional assets. So when you have additional assets, you have to figure out a way to deploy the capital. But then when you take into things like operational efficiency and uh, and cost and your your overhead costs, your fixed costs, etc. When you start looking at it that way, then the million dollar loan becomes more attractive. Well, add to that additional compliance and regulation. That basically created the perfect storm. You had more money getting spent in operations and, and compliance, less money getting spent in sales, but additional assets coming on the books. So you had no choice but to figure out a way to get the assets out the door. So therefore, instead of doing 10 units, you do one. Do you think that it's true that fintech is actually taking over the commercial banks or they're just replacing the smaller market niche? I think the truth is, is that the banks that are here today, the Bank of America's Wells Fargo's of the world, they were always a secondary market. And what I mean by secondary market is they were the lender to other lenders. It's just in the past, those lenders were small community banks. Now, they're lenders to fintech companies and other companies like those. So fintech is effectively taking the place of the community bank. Coming up on Fintalks Radio, we're going to hear from these guys about the good and the bad of fintech, cryptocurrencies, and much more, all after the break. podcast listener, it's me, your host of FinTalks Radio, Jeremy Kahn. Do me a favor, if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, subscribe to us on Apple Music, Stitcher Radio, or however you get your podcast. Then, go on social media and give us some feedback about what you want to hear. We're trying to make this an amazing podcast, but can't do it without you. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of the podcast. 